We've been looking at what God's Word has to say about music, and today we're going to look at Satan and music. We may not be aware, but Satan is the master of music and was at one time in heaven. And some of us may be old enough to remember when rock and roll kind of hit the scene, and especially in the United States, became popular. And I remember it being described as the devil's music. And I remember even seeing videos where they made a comparison between a rock and roll group and an African tribe group. Music wasn't a whole lot different. And that's why it kind of got named, labeled uh, the devil's music. But so that was a proper conclusion to come to. These tribes were heathenistic, didn't worship true God, worshiped their own gods, the wrong God, obviously. And their music was used to hype them up before they went into battle. It was used to encourage immorality after the battles. And it was even encouraged just to encourage your immorality among the people. And that's what basically rock and roll does today. That is the purpose of rock and roll. If you ever, in fact, I have a book in my library if you'd like to read it about someone who was saved out of that culture. And some direct quotes from the rock and roll stars of today. That is their sole purpose, to encourage rebellion and immorality, drug use, all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's, it just fits that kind of scenario as it was developing. Um, why did that happen? I think it's very obvious. We as a nation were moving, and still are, moving farther and farther away from God as a nation. Now, that does, should not be an encouragement for us as individuals to be doing the same. And, and I'm sure many of us here would long for the day when we're going to be delivered from this because it's only going to get worse, I believe, before it gets better. Uh, unless God provides a revival in America and across this globe, I believe it's going to become a greater challenge for us as believers to stand our ground. But we need to do so because if we don't stand the ground, what hope is there? And music is, is a very, very important part of our culture all across the globe, not just in America, but everywhere. Now, in America, it's a multi-billion dollar business. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a little bit. But let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. <clears throat> and let's learn some things about Satan and how, this, how he has a dramatic influence on music. Ezekiel chapter 28. Some very interesting things here, and I wish I was a little more of a Hebrew scholar to kind of um, solidify some things that I, I observed here as in this study. But in Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, and we'll go to Isaiah 14 as well. We're going to look at both these passages. Uh, they're, they're crucial to understanding who Satan is and what his past is. But starting at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were, and this is talking about Satan now, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Very precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, merle, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. 
I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst, it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a whore, and there shall be no more forever. Let's turn to Isaiah 14, please. Isaiah 14, 11 through 17. <coughs> Again, talking about Satan. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread over under you, and the worms cover you. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How are you cut down from the ground, you who weaken the nations? You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the far sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest pits, depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations and all them sleep in glory, every one to his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable ranch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down into the stones of the pit, like a corpse trodden under. Let's look at the physical characteristics of Satan here. He is described as most beautiful. In Ezekiel 28, back there in verse 12, we see he was... God declared him in perfect beauty. I can't imagine what perfect beauty is. We've never seen it. <laughs> but at this time, he was perfect in his beauty. And notice that in his body or on his body somehow, all these precious stones as his covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. Now, again, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but there's a couple uh, Hebrew authors that said that this was part of his very being. Not just something he wore with these things on it, but it was part of him. It's how he was created. 
all these precious stones. And then, um, it, again, notice that last phrase there. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. If the Hebrew is, and I'm understanding it correctly, his body was actually some form of a musical instrument. So he was very, he wasn't just musically inclined to play this, but somehow his body was able to be an instrument. And that's, again, I'm no Hebrew scholar, so you can take it for its worth. But either way, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. God gave Satan a very special ability in the area of music. And I believe at this point in time, because of the position that he has among the angels and his position um, over God, which we'll look at in a moment, I believe at this particular time, he was probably the most masterful uh, instrumentalist musician in all the universe. And his purpose was to bring glory and honor to God in heaven prior to his fall, obviously. So he was declared perfect, a seal of perfection, as we see in verse 12. And then again in verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. Now, again, perfect. But he had a choice. Now there's only two beings on the face of the, in the universe that have free choice. Angels are one and we're the other. Angels have a choice to love God or to follow Satan. And Lucifer, which we will see in a moment, he did take some with him. Full of wisdom. And again, I kind of scratched my head. How wise was he when he made these stupid mistakes? To say, I will be like God. I will take his position. That's what he was saying. And in fact, Stephen and I were talking about here recently about Solomon and all of his wisdom. <laughs> How wise was he? He didn't finish out well. You know what that tells me? We might be wise now, but we can still fail and not finish well for God. We need to keep our focus on Him. That's the only way we're going to keep ourselves faithful to the very end when the Lord chooses to take us home. But he was full of wisdom, a very wise being and creature. Satan's purpose was to worship God in verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Now what that means is he had some wings that somehow he hovered over where God was in such a way. And while he was there, it's kind of like, I kind of look at it, it looks like he was a, a, a literal musical instrument hovering over God in some royal divine way to acknowledge and to enhance the glory of who God is. This is what St. Lucifer was designed for. And so, as he directed the angels to sing, and we're going to look at that a little bit more in a moment about the angels singing, Lucifer was the musician. And I just cannot imagine, can you, before the fall, before he fell, what it must have looked like for this magnificent creature, most beautiful thing in the universe, and playing music in such a way that, can you, don't you wish you could turn that radio on and listen to that music? It must have been awesome. And Satan, or Lucifer at this point, we'll use that name until we get to the point where he actually fell. But he had this covering in which he was just over God. 
Can you imagine that as, as your, I mean, try to put yourself in an angel's position and, and have God somewhere. It's my responsibility to just hover over him in awe of who God is and the privilege of playing the most awesome divine music to enhance his glory and his honor. That's what Lucifer did. That was his responsibility. And he involved the other angels, and, and we have no idea how many angels and beyond number. And we know from Revelation, as we've been studying Revelation on Wednesday night, that when Lucifer fell, he took one-third of all God's angels with him. There's one-third of all God's angels decided to follow Lucifer. I believe we experience those today in our world today by way of demons. I believe those are what the Satan or Satan's angels that followed him. But Satan has purpose to worship God and to lead the angels in this. This covering. And, and the word in verse 11 of Ezekiel, the, the word pomp was a display of divine worship. Um, Ezekiel 11, that's not 28.11. Where do we read that? I got the wrong reference there. Maybe it was Isaiah that we read that. The word pomp. Um, he used string instruments, as we see in verse 13. Um, again, in Isaiah, it talked about the, the stringed instruments, uh, the, the tambourine. Well, it says timbrels and pipes, uh, instruments that would be more like what we are accustomed to would be the tambourine and horns. In the Hebrew, that's what we would, how we would translate them. Whether they look like exactly like, like Roger's trombone there, probably not, but some kind of a horn of some sort. Um, and, and tambourines or drums of some sort, the drumming part was there. But let's turn to Job 38. This is the only place we find in Scripture where the angels sang. I think there's a reason for that. But I want us to see it, that we know the angels did sing. And this is the only place in Scripture where we can find the angels sang. And this is new revelation to me. I did not realize this until in the last couple of years myself. I always thought when the angels sang about Christ's birth and so on, they were singing. But you read it, and it says they said, or they shouted. They did not sing. And I never really... Notice that. But it says, Job 38. So there, so what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, that's the angels, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, you can take this where it's worth, but I think there's a reason why the angels quit singing. And we're not going to turn there, but if you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. After every day that God created something, he said it was good. Except for one. When he created airspace, on that day, the third day, he did not, second day, he did not say it was good. I believe there's a reason why. Because what do we call Satan? The prince and the power of the air. I believe the fall of Satan had already taken place and he occupied that space. And because he occupied it, God could not call it good. Now you can take that for its worth, but I think there's a reason why. And from that point on, we find no other place in Scripture where the angels sang. Now I do believe that when we get into that final stage of eternity, I believe the angels will start singing again. 
the issue of sin will be dealt with completely. There'll be no more sin curse. And I believe the angels will begin singing again. That's my own opinion because there's no scripture that I can say that they're going to do that. But they sang prior to the fall. I believe they're going to resume singing after the sin curse has been dealt with completely. Because we see very clearly here that prior to the fall, the angels sang. And Lucifer was the one that was leading them in all this music. Now, probably in the last days when they begin singing again, God will have another angel that will take his place and lead. And I believe they will do the same thing. There will be another cherub who will have that same responsibility of, of hovering over them and that covering over God. Because he's going to restore everything back to what it was prior to the fall. So prior to the fall of sin, Satan had an awesome ministry of providing a royal covering over God and music and led the angels and praise to God. And God loves, God loves music. In fact, he, he sings himself. Uh, and there's scripture to back that up as well. But Satan's pride before the fall. We looked at he fell uh, from heaven in Isaiah 14. Let's turn there and just refresh what we read there. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning. Um, he fell from heaven. His pride was, as we read here five times, I will ascend into heaven. His goal was to have a higher position of authority than God himself. He said, I will exalt my throne above the angels of God. His plan was not just to take a third of the angels. He wanted them all. I believe that's when he created man and the, unit and, and the planet. I believe he wanted that too. And that's where we get sit on the mount of the congregation. A prominent position of, of worship by the angels. And his goal is for us to worship him. Because we all know, don't we? If we're not worshiping God, who are we worshiping? Satan. And we're part of that. Now ultimately it comes down to me worshiping myself. But who's behind it? Obviously, from the scriptures, Satan is behind our selfishness. Sin is selfishness. So he's going to sit on the mount of the congregation. He wants that prominent place of worship. He's a creature and not a being like God. He wants to be in the Holy of Holies. He wants to be that individual that gets all the attention. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Again, just putting himself in that prominent position. I believe he wants God under his authority. And somehow he's got in his head that he can somehow do that. I wonder, though, how futile Satan is. I believe he knows the scriptures better than you and I. I believe he knows what's coming in the end. I think he knows he's headed for the lake of fire. I don't think that's revelation to him. But somehow... And don't we do the same thing? How many of us have gone headlong into sin believing we can do this and get away with it? Satan is where it came from because he's doing his thing. I can do this and somehow I'm going to get away with it. But we know it's not going to happen. He wants to be like the Most High. Satan clearly has seen, sees himself as having the ability at some point in time to take place of God's authority and his beauty as well. 
God was invisible. God is invisible. So I guess in Satan's mind, there's nothing beautiful about God because there's nothing to see. But look at me. I am intelligent. I am all beautiful. I'm extremely talented. So you can see me, so worship me. Can we make some kind of an application to our own selves? Isn't that maybe one reason why mankind finds it easier to bow down to an image? Something they can see? Something they can touch? How many of us got to admit that sometimes we struggle worshiping God because we don't see Him? We can't touch Him. How many of us would long to have God come down and sit down with us and hold us, hold our hand when we're going through a tough time? Have his shoulder around our, his hand around our shoulders when we're going through a tough time. Isn't it a little bit harder for us to realize that sometimes God is, is he really there? At the same time, though, we need to be thankful that he is a spirit. That he is invisible. Because how many people are on the face of the earth right now? We've now tapped seven billion do you realize that because God is a spirit, if every one of the seven billion people on the face of the earth right now would begin to pray simultaneously, can our brains grab, grasp this? God can hear every prayer individually like we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Now, you ladies, you're talented. You can listen to three conversations at the same time and know what's going on. That's because you're a mother. You can listen to this kid, you can listen to the radio, and you can talk on the phone all at the same time and know what's going on. I can't. I can only listen to one thing at a time. But God could, God has that capability of listening to all seven billion at the same time. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful he's a spirit. Because when you're praying to God, I don't want you distracting me from him. And neither do you, do you? When you go to God, you want to know you've got 100% of God's attention. And because he's a spirit, he's capable of doing that. I don't want Lucifer to be my God because he's limited. He can only do one thing at a time. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not all-powerful. He's a creature. Now, he's got more power, more power and ability and, and smarts than I've got. But at this point in time, I don't want his smarts, do you? <laughs> I don't want to be in his shoes. I just want to be who I am, who God made me. And I'll be satisfied with that. But he wants to be like the Most High, and somehow he's convinced himself that he can do that. He has substance, so here I am. Be awed by my beauty. Be awed by my wisdom. But I'm not. I don't want to be. I hope you're not either. Verse 18 of Ezekiel 28. He defiled his own sanctuary. You defiled your sanctuaries. Now, again, I don't understand all that because I can't imagine what it must be like to be in a perfect environment when everything is going great. But somehow, because of the sin, and I don't think this, he just made it a little bit dirty. <laughs> You know, I mean, anybody ever cleaned a chicken coop? 
I, if I have my choice to clean a, a cattle barn or a chicken coop, give me the cattle barn any day. Defiled. It was filthy, dirty, rotten because of what he did. I believe that's one reason why God's got to make a new heaven and a new earth. There's a stench in heaven because Satan's been there. And he still has access to it. Because he's there now accusing us of our sin, pointing the finger at us and laughing at us and making fun of us before our God. Praise God, he doesn't see me. All he sees is the blood of Christ. He loves me anyways. But Satan defiled his sanctuary. He dirtied it. It rinks. It, it reeks of sin. It stunk up the place. And in verse 19, he became a terror, a whore, frightening. Now we know that we picture the devil as a, a, a red being with horns and a pitchfork tail and a pitchfork. That's not what Lucifer looks like. Did, did we see anything this morning that looks even remotely like that? But he has become a horrifying creature. One with... He's beautiful physically, but inside he's a terror. The Bible calls him a murderer. Who is behind Cain killing Abel? Why did Satan put it in Cain's heart to murder his brother? His brother was righteous. His brother was worshiping the Almighty God, and he Abel would not worship Satan. And Cain, by setting up his own religion, was setting up a religion to worship Satan. And that's exactly what Satan wanted. And he wanted the whole world to follow him. And didn't they ultimately do that before Noah's flood? God's flood, it was Noah's. <laughs> he was just there. And that what it says in Genesis 6. Man began to follow, or not follow God. Follow his own heart. His heart was only evil continually. Who was behind all that? Lucifer believed at that point in time he had the whole world except for Noah and his family. And we've talked about that before. How horrifying it must have been to live in that day and age. I can't imagine. The murder must have been outrageous. The crime must have been outrageous. I wonder, what did the music sound like in that day? You can be sure it was not holy. Satan was horrifying because of his sin. But Satan tries to make sin look attractive, doesn't he? He's physically attractive, and so if it's physically beautiful, how can it be bad? Isn't that the philosophy of the world? If it feels good, it must be, so let's just do it. Can't be anything wrong with it. So let's not call it sin anymore. Let's redefine it. We dare not never define, redefine anything that God calls sin. But Satan will continually doing that. Satan will suffer before sinfulness in Isaiah 14. I hope you got your Bibles, Max, so we can bounce back and forth here. But... Isaiah 14 shows that he will suffer for it. There are times when I wish God wasn't so patient. 
is what kind of damage has Satan done to this world. But verse 14, or verse 9, hell from beneath is excited about you. Boy, that's a statement, isn't it? Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones and all the kings of the nations. Why is hell excited about Lucifer getting there? What is it there for? Hell has got one purpose and one purpose only, to get the final judgment for Lucifer and all that follow him. It is created by God. It is a tool of, Satan, a tool of God to take care of it. And hell is waiting for them to get there. They're excited about the final judgment for Lucifer. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you don't know Christ is your Savior, hell is excited about you getting there too. Because anybody that's in Satan's army, <laughs> we want to get eliminated from history. And that sin nature is going to be placed there and dealt with for all of eternity. Didn't notice, kind of gross, maggots are spread under you and worms cover you. So he's not only going to be tormented by fire beyond our imagination. Now, I know some of you folks, you know, in fact, my wife, not too keen about fishing unless I put the worm on the hook. Her idea of fishing is, you put the worm on, I'll cast it out there, reel the fish on, you take the fish off, put another worm on, and I don't want to touch anything slimy. I'm not going to touch those little critters. But can you imagine? Man, I don't want to gross us out, but we want to see the seriousness of this matter. We've all seen dead animals and covered with maggots. This beautiful thing that God created is going to be covered with maggots and worms. Tortured by flame. And those maggots and worms are not going to burn up with it. I'm not going to try to explain it. All I know is what God's Word says. <laughs> this is the way it's going to be. This is what He has waiting for Him and those who follow Him. And just like we're squeamish, not even the thought of being like that, I believe that grossness about it will never go away forever. They're not going to get used to this. It's going to be there forever. That's what he's got waiting for him. His sin has actually created the opposite effect of what he wanted. He will be dramatically weakened God's given him control of some things, as we know, from Job and other places. But notice again Isaiah 14, verse 16 and 17. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? What's saying here is, we're so stupid to follow this guy? This is what we've been following? 
At some point in time in history, that's what man's going to see. I believe this might come to place when every knee will bow before God. Then they will see the contrast. Here's the Almighty God. Now I have to bow down to Him, and for now it's too late. And I'm thinking, and I've been following Him all my life? I've been following Lucifer all my life? Duh! But now it's too late. Can you imagine the gut-wrenching stomach thing that's going to be there? I'm going to hell because I followed Him? And I didn't follow Him? That's where the world's at. I hope that's not where you're at this morning. If you've never put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that is where you're at today. And that will be your outcome. His music lost its divine glory and worship in verse 11. Your pomp is brought down to the Sheol. The sound of your string instruments. His music from that day forward. Not one note was ever intended to bring glory to God. His music was to enhance His glory. And that is where the world is at today. He has weakened all nations from their godly character. Verse 12. How are you cut down to the ground and you weakened the nations? Verse 16. Those who see you will gaze you and consider saying, Who is this man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Is it any wonder we have problems in the Middle East? <laughs> and across the globe? Verse 17. Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. Who did not open the house of his prisoners. Notice how it's, we are those who follow Satan. Notice how they're defined here. Prisoners. Those who follow Satan are prisoners of him. And they don't even realize it. Their cry is, I have freedom. I can do whatever I want. This is true. But what you don't really realize, you're not free to do what you want. You're a prisoner of Satan. The only way you can get free is to accept Jesus Christ. The truth sets us free. Freedom to be obedient to the word of God and to worship him. So we can't possibly imagine the magnitude of Lucifer's divine given character and ministry. But we can see firsthand what it's like today. It's all around us. Satan and music all through history. It is obvious that man craves music. There's probably never been a time in history when there hasn't been some form of music. In the United States, it's a multi-billion dollar business and all kinds of styles of music. And it seems like some even still come up with some different ways to play music. If you're watching America's Got Talent, <laughs> guy made an earth harp. <laughs> if you saw that, it just, it was amazing. I was awed by it. Man's always coming up with something. God does love music a great deal. He created Lucifer to play music and to honor him and to glorify him. And I, I just cannot imagine what that music must have been like before he fell. 
We saw where the angels sang at creation. All through the Bible, we see music mentioned from Genesis 4.21 all the way through Scripture, right through the book of Revelation. God intends for music to be a very, very important part of our lives. I wish as a kid I had spent more time learning a musical instrument. I can't even play the radio. <laughs> I admire greatly those who can play musical instruments. I praise the Lord for our musicians here. I wish we had more. I really do. And I thank those who take the time to practice and rehearse and learn. I thank God for those who have a God-given ability. Some have a God-given ability in music. That's why Josh and well, just, I know Josh can play what, I don't know how many instruments you can play, actually. Some plays better than others, but he can play several instruments. I'd be lucky to play one. My wife plays the piano, but it's not a natural ability. She learned it because in the ministry, she was the only piano player we had. And she took the time to learn, but it does not come natural to her. We can learn anything. We work hard enough, and she was a hard worker. And she learned, and praise the Lord. When, when we started Huttonsville, she picked out the hymns because she was going to play three that Sunday. And as she practiced, she added three or more every week until she could play a lot of things. And then she said, honey, you can pick from these. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I thank God for her willingness to do that. But praise God. And there, and there are some individuals I've seen this and I don't understand it. <laughs> and there's a gal, I had the privilege of playing, uh, being a speaker at a Manly Handicap Week. They knew I could be on their level. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's a gal there, and she was there when I was a teenager, and 30 years later, and I'm now the speaker, and she's still there. Her name's Mary. She's not all there mentally. But she was my piano player at camp. All I had to do was hum the tune, and she could play it on the piano. Amazing. She had another ability. It was a phenomenal thing. She asked me when my birthday was. I said, July 25th. No, what year? 53. You were born on Saturday. You give her any date in history, and she'll tell you what day of the week it was. Like that. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> But she did it. I can't even tell what they did. And I got my brains. You know, I just, it just, isn't it amazing what God does to blow our minds on some things? It just really is. But there's people like that. Sit down. And, and, and in fact, another fellow, I just, I enjoy his music a great deal. And my, my daughter's bought me several of his CDs. Yanni. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. Awesome music. The man can't read a note of music. I just recently learned that in one of his concerts I watched on television. He can't read a word of music or a note of music. And yet the music he puts out is absolutely phenomenal. Amazing. That's natural talent. That's a God-given talent. Unfortunately, I don't think this guy's saved, but God loves music. And, and, and let's look at a couple of verses to remind you. Verses that we're familiar with, the Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, 16 and 17. We've read these verses before, but just a reminder. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. That's key, isn't it? 
If we're going to play and sing godly music, we've got to be filled with the Word of God richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. That's the purpose of our music. It must teach. It must admonish. One another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Our music is to be expressed to the Lord, and if it's to Him, it's going to bless us. God makes it clear. We're not going to go into all the kinds of music that are mentioned and what they, what they are in the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think the point is, there's a variety of music that God out there wants us to have, and there's a purpose for it. So I encourage you to evaluate what kind of music are you listening to at home? Now, I want to make it perfectly clear. I am not saying, as your pastor, that the only kind of music you should be listening to is Christian music. I'm not saying that. But that should be a bulk of what you're listening to. <laughs> And what music you're listening to better not be sounding like the world and satanic music. Now, that's where you have to make a discernment as to where that is. We, the, the music that we listen to has a, a, a very specific purpose of focusing our attention on the Lord and enhancing our relationship with Him. That must be our focus. God himself does sing. Satan is an angel of light. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Why do we want to look at the fact that Satan is an angel of light? Because we envision that Satan as being an ugly creature. But he's not. We know from Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, Satan is the master deceiver. And he will deceive even us as believers. He is capable of that. Talks about it even in Revelation. That in the last days, even believers will be deceived. What's the only way we can avoid being deceived? You better know this book and you better know it well. I believe if you know the Word of God really, really well, somebody could get up in the pulpit and preach something with just a little bit of a twist on it. You may not be able to identify it right away, but you'll know there's something not right here. And then you'll be like a Berean and go back and study the Scriptures and make sure, what did he say and how did he say that? Something doesn't ring well. Because the Holy Spirit will bring to your attention and you'll be knowing the truth well enough to not be sucked into that. But 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light or an angel of deception. I believe you could put a, a note there in that, right next to that word light. He is an angel of deception. I believe one of the reasons we're having such a big wrestling matches within our churches today in regard to music is because the churches are not preaching the word soundly. And if we're not preaching the word soundly, where can we go? There's only one place to go. If we're not preaching Christ, we're going to be preaching Satan. And he will mix the two, won't he? Did he not do that with Adam and Eve? Didn't he tell them some truth? Yeah, he did, but he also told him a lie. And when you mix a lie with the truth, what do you got? You still have a lie. 
And Satan will do that. Now, obviously, from the world, it's very obvious. They're singing about drugs and immorality and violence and rebellion and all these kind of things. We're not so dumb to fall into that trap. But what's happening in the local churches today that are using music to draw their crowds? The emphasis is not on the Word of God. And the music is not, I believe, always glorifying the God. At the same time, I want to say this. God knows their heart. And he's going to look at that heart. Music has a common effect. 1 Samuel 16, 23. We're not going to turn there because I think you're familiar with this. You remember Saul was... In fact, let's do turn there because there's something I want you to notice there. I, I, I knew it was there before, but I never noticed it until this morning when I was reviewing my notes. But 1 Samuel 16, 23. I just kind of jumped out at me. I'd never seen it before until this, until this morning. But 1 Samuel 16, 23 says... And so was whenever the Spirit from who? God was upon Saul. What is the Spirit that's being talked about here? If you know the history, Saul had his moments when he was depressed, he was discouraged, he was down and out. Where did that Spirit come from? God. Why did God allow that to be there? Saul had broken his relationship with God. And when you break your relationship with God, God is going to allow you to be miserable. So when you and I are miserable inside, there's no joy, there's no peace, we're depressed, we're discouraged. Maybe you want to take our own life. You better examine where your relationship is with God because that does not come with your relationship with God. And God is using those emotions to warn you, you're drifting away from me. Realign yourself. Now, I am not saying we should always be up and giddy and joyful. There's not going to be any times of concern. Christ himself had moments of concern, especially in the garden. But what's the difference? Christ's sad terrible moments in the garden did not stop him from doing what was right before his father. We will have concerned moments and that will drive us to our knees and also drive us closer to him if we allow it to. But we can make the decision, God, you abandoned me. You're not treating my life the way I want. I'm going to turn my back on you. You're in dangerous because your, your depression will continue to spiral down until you catch yourself and let God catch you. But it comes from God. Saul that. Well, we see what David did. He, he played the harp and he played it with his hand. And then Saul would become refreshed and well. And the distressing spirit would depart from him. How many of have ever been depressed? <laughs> Discouraged? What did we do? Did we go to God? Would it be good for us to turn on some music that would refresh our soul of who God is? Yes, it would. 
when we find ourselves getting depressed and discouraged, we should have, and I do, I have in my, and I don't have much, but I got some music that when I get frustrated and discouraged, I put this music on because it gets my mind back on Him again. And keeps my prayer life where it needs to be and keeps my relationship with Him where it needs to be. I didn't do that for years. I would wallow in my self-pity. I would be depressed. I would be discouraged. And I realized, how foolish can I be? I want God to wrap His world around me. And who am I to have God world wrap His world around me? I need to be wrapped around His world. His kingdom. And so, music can have a tremendous impact on our lives, and God expects us to do that. I remind you from last week's passage in Exodus 32, 6, that when Aaron got that golden calf and got those people... Worshiping that golden calf. They had music that sounded like going to war. And it said they rose up to play. And they weren't playing checkers. It was an immoral activity that was going on. All kinds of sexual immorality was going on in that worship. Which wasn't worship. But the music had a part of it. And the music came out of it. And we got to be careful that we don't allow music to do that to us. By Satan's design, the purpose of music is to encourage worship. Of him and his philosophies of life. We saw in Ezekiel, Satan became violent. Sin greatly multiplied. Satan became horrifying. The same thing rock and roll does to anybody who listens to it on a diet. And so our young people are in this room. Do not allow yourself to listen to rock and roll as a diet. It's a wrong choice. It is sinful. Don't go there with it. God instructs us to avoid the appearance of evil in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. So in our own music as Christians, I believe we should avoid sounding like the world. We should dress different. We should talk different. We should eat different. Everything about our life should be distinctly different. Not just a little bit different. We don't crowd the world as close as we possibly can. We need to be distinctly different. Because the world needs to see that there's a dramatic difference between Satan's world and ours. Or God's world. To think and to sing and worship to God, we must see Him as He is. That's why we cannot spend enough time in God's Word to discover who He is. It will affect the way we sing. God did not leave us with a precise, detailed musical score. We have the book of Psalms, 150 songs. Can you imagine Josh leading all the courses of Psalm 119? <laughs> <laughs> that would take a day or two, wouldn't it? <laughs> Knows musical score because God's a God of variety. And so he's got all kinds of musical variety out there for us to enjoy. Plenty that we can do without sounding like the world. Each saint is accountable for his choices. Romans 14. It is your choice. I cannot make you. I will not make you. No more than you can make me. 
But now in a body of believers like this, there's going to be a variety of styles that we're going to enjoy or not to enjoy. In that case, we need to seek a balance and we need to be tolerant of someone who's playing a style that may not be my favorite or my preference. Now, if we had a multi-ethnic church and praise the Lord is one coming together in Chicago under BCP. They got five ethnic groups in their church. They got Spanish, they got Chinese, uh, they got some Ukrainians. Can you imagine what that song service sounds like every now and again? Play some Chinese music, play some Spanish music, play some Ukrainian music, play some Greek music. To me, that'd be exciting. I would love it. <laughs> But for some of us, we might not care for some of that. But my brothers over here, that's their culture. I'm going to rejoice with them and enjoy it. But I've got to say, when it comes to this music sound like the world, no culture should be listening to that. Satan will use music, even among the believers, if he can, to distract us from focusing on God. I believe you would agree with this statement I'm about to make. Everything good that God has ever made, Satan has turned it to be used in a bad way. Everything that's been good that God said was good, he's turned into something bad. And there's some things that are just absolutely beautiful by God. In fact, we were talking about in our men's Bible study yesterday, the homosexual agenda. <laughs> God has created marriage to be the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth. And look how Satan's ruined it. In the Bible, there's five different sexual immoralities mentioned in the Bible. In, in Deuteronomy, it didn't take long for man to really mess it up. And it won't get any better. Everything is good. I mean, I all like to eat. That's good. Satan's ruined that too, hasn't he? Everything that's good, he's ruined. But we need to go back to the book. And I believe we need to show the world how to do it right. Even the use of our musical instruments. I talked to one pastor, oh, we can't have these instruments in the church. I said, please explain to me why. Show me in the Bible where that instrument cannot be played in the church. Well, that's associated with the world. So what? Bring that instrument in the church and let's show the world how it's supposed to be used right. That's what we're supposed to do. Because God's a God of music. It's to enhance who he is. That's how it started out with Lucifer. To exalt him and see who he is. And when we use our music today, that's who we need to be seen. Not the musician, not the singer, but it should be directing itself to God. And it'll be quick. And praise God for the people who sing in our church and play. I don't believe there's one of them that say, look at me, I can play my horn good. Roger would quit doing that if that was the case. I know Roger well enough. That's where he'd be. I don't believe I've ever seen anybody stand up here or play an instrument and say, look at me. Their goal is, look at the God I worship. Look at the God that saved my soul. That needs to be our motivation. When you sing in, the, in your seats, and I haven't seen anybody say, Ring in the, sing a little bit louder, listen to me, I can hit all those notes. In fact, we'd like to have something in the choir. We can't hit the notes, but we sing anyways. You get the point, don't you? 
We're not looking for, for we, we don't have auditions to see if your voice is good enough to sing in the choir. We don't have auditions when you come into church to see if you can sing a note as a congregation. We could care less. All that God cares about is what's coming from the heart. And if you see him and you acknowledge that you're a sinner saved by grace, I don't know about you, I don't know how you can keep your mouth shut. And there's been times when some of us come in here with laryngitis and we can't sing. It is hard not to sing when everybody else is singing, isn't it? I just want to sing anyways. But I'm singing in my heart, but it's just not the same. Let's make sure our music is not following after Satan. Someday that is going to be restored back to the original. And I do believe there will probably be another angel that will take his place in that place of eternity when he will hoover over the Lord, lead the angels of music, and we're going to be there to sing with them. Isn't that going to be awesome? Father, thank you for the God that you are. How devastating it was that the most magnificent creature you created was an instrument of music before you and worship, and he's blown it. And a good portion of our world is following him today, and the music does not glorify you. But God, we as a church family, and we as individuals, want to glorify you and see you for who you are. And help us, Father, to express that in the music that we use, that we will glorify you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.